Good morning. We're going to be in Proverbs. So if you turn there, we'll probably bounce around a little bit. All right, let's go ahead and pray. Father, we just thank you so much for for this time. God, we thank you for the rain. I know we need it, even though I'm a little tired of it. Um, we we do say thank you for it. God, I just ask that you would open our minds today to your to your word. Help us to understand it and to apply it. Holy Spirit, would you come? <clears throat> God, so that we might walk out different, that we might not be foolish, but that we would know what your will is. In Jesus' name, amen. So I think most of us would probably agree that if there's anything that's lacking in our world, it's wisdom. If you start to doubt it, you can turn on the news Look at social media, you can walk outside, go to work, look in the mirror. It's not hard to find foolishness. And so all of us need wisdom for how to live in this world because life is complicated. Life is hard. We need wisdom for complex issues of our time as modern people. We need wisdom for the complicated things that come up in our lives, personally, relationally. But wisdom is also useful. It isn't just about the complicated stuff. It's useful for ordinary life. It's how we respond and react to the everyday things that each of us faces. And we start to realize that sometimes things aren't as complicated as we're making them out to be, but that many of life's complications, many of the attitudes that we develop, the actions that we do, are simply the cumulative effects of unwise attitudes and choices in our lives that have built up over a long time. And so wisdom is more about living an ordinary life than the extraordinary events and issues of life. And so that's one of the reasons why we've titled this series on Proverbs, Practicing Proverbs in Ordinary Life, because every single day, each of us are at a crossroads of how we're going to react to the situations that jump up at us each day. When we wake up, Tomorrow morning, we have a choice. Are we going to listen to the voice of Lady Wisdom or are we going to listen to the voice of Lady Folly? And so these two competing voices are constantly pleading for our attention. Proverbs tells us that wisdom and folly are crying out in the streets for followers, that their voices are are loud. And that each one of us will choose one of these women to follow. We will follow folly or we will follow wisdom. And so there's no neutrality. In the course of our lives, 
at the end of our lives are going to show whether we were fools of folly or whether we were wise sages in life. And so I want us to hear those voices again so that we can, we can see it again. This is Proverbs chapter 8, verses 1 to 11. And this is the voice of wisdom. Does not wisdom call? Does not understanding raise her voice? On the heights beside the way, at the crossroads, she takes her stand. Beside the gates in front of the town, at the entrance of the portals, she cries aloud. To you, O men, I call, and my cry is to the children of man. O simple ones, learn prudence. O fools, learn sense. Hear, for I will speak noble things, and from my lips will come what is right. For my mouth will utter truth. Wickedness is an abomination to my lips. All the words of my mouth are righteous. There is nothing twisted or crooked in them. They are all straight to him who understands and right to those who find knowledge. Take my instruction instead of silver and knowledge rather than choice gold. For wisdom is better than jewels. And all that you may desire cannot compare with her. The high value of the voice of wisdom that is crying out, listen to me, hear me. But there's another voice, Proverbs 9, 13 to 18. The woman folly is loud. She is seductive and knows nothing. She sits at the door of her house. She takes a seat on the highest places of the town, calling to those who pass by, who are going straight on their way. Whoever is simple, let him turn in here. And to him who lacks sense, she says, Stolen water is sweet, and bread eaten in secret is pleasant. But he does not know that the dead are there, and her guests are in the depths of Sheol. So on the one hand, wisdom, high value, more valuable than treasure, more valuable than any other possession in life. And on the other hand, folly, attractive, alluring, Seductive, loud, death, Sheol, hell, is where that path leads. But don't let these metaphors, clearly, these are metaphors, this is poetry. Don't let these metaphors here, imaging wisdom as a woman, throw you off into thinking wisdom and foolishness are just these abstract philosophical principles. Though the writer is clearly using poetic forms in chapters 1 to 9, Proverbs is grounded in down-to-earth living, which becomes even more and more clear as you get right past chapter 9. Little sentences that jolt us because of how ordinary and everyday they are. So Proverbs is grounded in down-to-earth living. They encompass what we do with our bodies, what we do with our mouths, what we do with our minds, what we do with our relationships in marriage, parenting, friendship, and before God's face. So this is an eminently practical book because the difference between wisdom and foolishness is not a concept, but it's a way of life. It's how you live. It's how I live. That matters. 
The science fiction writer Philip K. Dick wrote, Many men talk like philosophers and live like fools. And I think many men and women, including myself, can talk Bible and live like a fool. It can be easy to do. So this morning I want us to look at Proverbs and take seriously the warning it gives to us about living foolishly and becoming fools. And the evidence of whether we get this message, and again, not necessarily this message, but the message of Proverbs, the evidence of whether we, we get it is not going to have anything to do with how well or not well I might preach it. That has nothing to do with the evidence of wisdom in my life. And that has nothing to do with the evidence of wisdom in your life if you listen well and you think it was a good sermon. What matters is what happens throughout the course of your life and how you respond to it. It's easy to trick church people into thinking you might not be a fool. It's pretty easy to do. Once you learn the game long enough, anyone can look wise at church. It's harder to pull a fast one on our spouses. It's harder to pull the wool over the eyes of our kids. But it's impossible to do it before God. The Father, Son, and Holy Spirit will never be duped into thinking we are wise if we're not. Proverbs tells us that God sees every single act that we ever do. Proverbs 15.3 The eyes of the Lord are in every place, keeping watch on the evil and the good. Proverbs 5.21 For a man's ways are before the eyes of the Lord, and he ponders all his paths. So God sees every single act that we do. And more terrifying than that, God sees every motive of our hearts that no human being can see and sometimes that we don't even ourselves understand. Proverbs 21.2 Every way of a man is right in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the heart. Proverbs 16.2 All the ways of a man are pure in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the Spirit. Sobering. So the place, or more specifically, the person that separates the wise from the foolish is God Himself. That each of us live before His face. And so, the sermon is titled, How Not to Be a Fool. And the how in how not to be a fool, is to live in that awareness. In other words, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Chapter 1, verse 7. That's where it starts. And so that's the rock-bottom issue, but I want us to go further up and further in. I want us to look at a few different things today. First, the relational context of a fool. The definition of a fool. The outcome of a fool the character of a fool, and then, most importantly, the gospel for fools. So first, the relational context of the fool. One thing that I think is important for us to understand is that the book of Proverbs is not simply a collection of commands to be obeyed or disobeyed. It's a collection of words from a dad to a son on how to live life well. That's what it is. A father and a son. Son, son, This is how you do life. 
Chapter 2, verse 1, My son, if you receive my words and treasure up my commandments with you. 3, verse 1, My son, do not forget my teaching. 4, verse 1, Hear, O sons, a father's instruction. 4, verse 10, Hear my son and accept my words. 4.20, My son, be attentive to my words. 5.1, My son, be attentive to my wisdom. 5.7, And now, O sons, listen to me. And so the words that we're reading in this book are all set in the context of a relationship. And so that's important because it shows us that this is not just a diagnostic manual of principles or, or mathematical equations where if you always do X and Y, you're going to get Z. And if you do X, but you don't do Y, then you'll get Z. That's not how Proverbs works. As Bob has been pointing out, Proverbs aren't promises. It's not teaching us good karma. They're a wise father's way of communicating to his son in memorable phrases how the architecture of God's world works. Generally. If you live a wise life, you'll be successful yourself and with others. And if you live a foolish life, you will destroy yourself and others. So, what's the phrase? Mama doesn't want to raise a fool. Papa doesn't want to raise a fool either. That's clear in Proverbs. If you want to be successful, if you want to be useful in life, son, do this. Go about this way of life. And son, don't do this. It's going to feel really good if you do it. But if you do it, it's going to hurt really bad. It's going to harm you. and It's going to harm other people. So wisdom and foolishness is formed in the context of relationships. Parents and their kids, husbands and their wives, friends and their friends. And so we need to ask ourselves, what words are we listening to? What words are defining us in our lives? And are you receiving words? Are you receiving the Scriptures in a personal way or in an impersonal way? And so this book is giving us a framework for not only how to parent kids or how to coach and counsel people, but how we are to relate to God, to our Father who is in heaven. He's saying to us through these words, Son, do not forget my teaching. Son, be attentive to my words. Sons, daughters, listen to me. Treasure up what I say. And so he isn't looking for rule followers, but for the hearts of his kids. Proverbs 23, 26. Oh, my son, give me your heart. May your eyes take delight in following my ways. He's not just looking for an easy application of if you behave this way, you're going to get this stuff. He's saying, give me your heart. Follow this path. It is good for you. I think we also learned that there's a foolish way of fearing God. You can be a fool if you fear a nebulous God who's out to get you, who's just out issuing commands to burden you, to make your life miserable. That can be a foolish fear of God. But you'll not be a fool if you fear the God who is the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who loves you and who desires to show you how to live life well. And the Father who gave His Son to rescue us 
from the kind of life that will destroy us and into the wisdom of His family. And so I think we needed to start there because it's always good to start with God. And before we can define the fool, we needed to define who God is and what His relationship to humanity is. But let's look at the definition of a fool. Nowadays, that word doesn't really resonate much with us, I don't think. We think of the fool as, you know, a joker, a funny guy. He's kind of being a, kind of being a fool. Comedies. Or we say it relatively casually about being a klutz or maybe repeating certain patterns that, again, aren't wisdom or foolish, but are just that happen in our, in our lives that are kind of klutzy and lame knocking stuff over. And so fool is kind of a throwaway word. It doesn't really resonate much. But when you look at what the word really means in your average dictionary or in the Bible, it's more extreme than we actually use it in our day-to-day life. It indicates the character of a person. You know, I've called people fools before. Jesus says, if you call somebody a fool, you're in danger of hellfire. And the reason why Jesus does that is because fool is just designating a category of a person. This person is a rebel, worthless person apart from God. So it's like a character assassination. So a common big picture understanding among Christians and secular definitions is that a fool is a person committed to immediate gratification. There's a good phrase for us to walk away with this morning. The fool is connected to immediate gratification. So I googled it. I googled fool. This is what came up. A person who acts unwisely or imprudently a silly person. The first word unwise isn't that helpful. Silly I don't think is that helpful to us either. But prudence is really helpful. And a fool is imprudent. He's not prudent. That is, he's not the kind of person who does act with or show care for the future. He's not prudent. I'm not worried about the future. I'm worried about now. I'm worried about gratification now. That's the pathway to becoming a fool. Someone who always chases after instant gratification. And I think everybody, Christian or not, can agree upon that. But the problem is, is this also defines who we are in this culture. In 2002, Pew Research did a survey of a bunch of technology experts and stakeholders to determine what are the positive effects and what are the negative effects of living in a hyper-connected generation. Digitally connected. Internet. And yes, they did find some positives. But one of the negatives that they found of young people in a hyper-connected generation is, quote, it will drive them to thirst for instant gratification, settle for quick choices, and lack patience. Because we got everything we want. We just push a button. It's on our doorstep two days later. We push a button. We can pretty much get what we want. Learn what we need to know. Get an instruction manual from YouTube on how to do something you don't know how to do. Those are positive things. Of course, we can do a lot of negative things on the Internet as well. We can harm with our words impersonally. Easily, with just a few types 
We can click on pictures and videos that we have no business watching that defile us instantly, quickly. And so young people aren't the only ones at risk here because all of us are living in this hyper-connected world. And even if you're not, as a human being with senses, and if we admit it, we all enjoy instant gratification. Part of being human, instant gratification feels good. We tend to repeat what rewards us. Unfortunately, bad habits are more pleasurable in the short term. And it's our habits that make up who we are and who we will become. In a recent New York Times bestselling book on habit formation, the author wrote this. Every habit produces multiple outcomes across time. Unfortunately, these outcomes are often misaligned. With our bad habits, the immediate outcome usually feels good, but the ultimate outcome feels bad. With good habits, it's the reverse. The immediate outcome is unenjoyable, but the ultimate outcome feels good. The French economist, and I'm not going to say his name because he's French, it's hard to pronounce and I'm not, explained the problem clearly when he wrote, it almost always happens that when the immediate consequence is favorable, the later consequences are disastrous and vice versa. Often the sweeter the first fruit of a habit, the more bitter are its later fruits. End quote from The Economist. Back to James Clear, the author. As a general rule, the more pleasure you get from an action the more strongly you should question whether it aligns with your long-term goals. End quote. And all of that lines up with the biblical category of a fool. Whether we end up fools or wise will be determined by our habits. And the fool habitually gives in to the reward of instant gratification over delayed gratification. I want it now. I will have it now. He trades long-term success for short-term pleasure. Bob showed us this principle last week when he was discussing the difference between Lady Wisdom and Lady Folly. One offers the long-term benefit of eternal life, while the other offers the seductive short-term benefits of immediate pleasure, but ends in death and destruction. There are two Hebrew words for fool throughout the book of Proverbs. One occurs 49 times and the other 19 times. This is why we picked this as a theme. 49 times and 19 times, Proverbs talks about the fool. And that's not counting the other words that might be related to the fool. While some scholars have drawn distinctions between them, the meaning of both words has to do with the intertwined relationship between who the fool is and what the fool does. The, the interconnection between cause and effect and personal identity. And so it doesn't have much to do with intellectual smarts, but it has to do with spiritual impairment, moral impairment. A fool is someone who practices folly, who lives a life that rejects who God is, that rejects what God has said, because that's who they are by definition. Because they're a fool, they do foolish things. That's a sense of the word, and the words used. And also, if you do foolish things, you will become a fool. It's both and. 
So like drugs to an addict is foolishness to a fool. An addict does drugs. It's what an addict does. And the doing of drugs can turn you into an addict. And if you stay that way, giving in to addiction, it often ends in relational, physical, and spiritual death. I think that's an easy picture for us to picture. But fool is much broader, much broader than just that. But we have to look at the, the outcome of the fool. We have to look at the long-term outcome of a fool and really believe it because the short-term stuff is so easy. So let's look closer at the outcome of the fool in the book of Proverbs. I think there's kind of a medium-term output, or I guess depending on the situation, or excuse me, outcome. Depending on the situation, it could be shorter term. But Proverbs talks about fools deserving a mouth-beating They deserve to get punched. Fools deserve a rod for their backs. And so sometimes they eventually and quite literally get it. If you run your mouth too much, you run into the wrong person, you may get punched. That's one outcome. 14.3 By the mouth of a fool comes a rod for his back. 18.6, a fool's lips walk into a fight and his mouth invites a beating. 26.3, a whip for the horse, a bridle for the donkey, and a rod for the back of fools. That's what they get, just part of their nature. If you want to do what it should do, whip the horse, bridle the donkey, take a rod to the back of a fool. But a beating doesn't fix a fool. You can crush grain after you hammer it over and over again, but foolishness will not come out of a fool and empty it. It will come out of the fool, but it won't all of a sudden be gone. Proverbs 27:22. Crush a fool in mortar with a pestle, excuse me. Crush a fool in a mortar with a pestle along with crushed grain, yet his folly will not depart from him. So the only thing that fools leak when you crush them, when you squeeze them, is more folly, is more sin, more foolishness. And so that's why the words from Proverbs describe the final end of a fool are so hopeless. Fools get more folly. Fools get disgrace. Fools get ruin. Fools get destruction. Fools get servitude, dishonor, death. That's the outcome. How's that for a legacy? The fool makes a mess of his relationships in his own life, not just because they've done foolish things occasionally, because again, every one of us has done foolish things. But because they just keep doing them over and over and over again. And one of the main things is because they're not teachable. One scholar wrote, the most frequently mentioned attribute of the wise in Proverbs is that they are teachable. About 40% of the sayings which explicitly mention the wise refer to this in one way or or another. If you want to be wise in Proverbs, listen to other people. Don't just listen to yourself. 
And so one answer to our question of how not to be a fool then is to be teachable. To have a soft and pliable heart that welcomes counsel. One of the problems with fools is that they can't smell the stench of the effect of their own sinful words and behaviors upon other people and in their own lives. They can't smell it. They can't see it. And even worse, the nature of a fool is that they can and they like it. They like the taste of it. Like a dog, fools return to their own regurgitation, lapping it up like a gourmet feast. That's what it is. That's the image. Why use, why use a sentence like that? Because I think we've heard, like a dog that returns to his vomit is a fool who repeats his folly a little too much. They think vomit is attractive. It's amazing when you watch a dog do that. And that's what you do if you're a fool. You continue to go back and forth to the same thing over and over again, Death and destruction are the end, and you just enjoy it. Keep eating it over and over again. That's what a fool looks like, and that's part of the outcome. The character of a fool is revealed by what characterizes them in day-to-day life. So your character is what characterizes you, right? And this is where we get to the nitty-gritty Proverbs is precise and unambiguous about what a fool looks like. And it's uncomfortable. Some of the stuff may have felt more comfortable. Kind of like, oh, it's it's out there. The fool's over there somewhere. But the fool is diagnosed in Proverbs by his mouth, by his behavior, by his mind. What I mean by that, just kind of like the interior of the person. And by... Relationships. And so all of these domains indicate our wisdom or foolishness. And what really sticks out in Proverbs about the fool is his mouth. One scholar said, over 30% of the book of Proverbs relates in some way to the theme of speech. So, what, about a third of that book is going to talk about your mouth. And it's going to relate it to the fool. So no wonder Jesus' brother James said the tongue was lit on fire by hell and impossible to control. Jesus himself said that mouth problems reveal heart problems. What comes out of your mouth shows what's inside your heart. Churches tend to go after sins like sex, which is in Proverbs, meaning illicit, immoral sex. But we tend to go after those sins first and foremost, but God's word goes after the tongue frequently. And in Proverbs itself, the most. That's the target. That's the problem. So the Proverbs points that foolishness leaks everywhere in the domains of our speech, our actions, and it leaks upon other people. So I was thinking in terms of medical tests. Let's run some tests for us with foolishness. And let's remember that Dr. Proverbs isn't here for your immediate comfort, but he's here for your spiritual health. And if you and I want to be successful, if you and I want to be healthy people and wise people in the world, check how you're doing in these categories. 
I was thinking about those redneck jokes. Um, Jeff Foxworthy. Remember those? And I don't know if they're politically correct anymore. But they kind of had a certain cadence. If you've ever made change in the offering plate, you might be a redneck. If beards are if birds are attracted to your beard, you might be a redneck. Or I think more appropriately, you might be a hipster, right? In our culture. And so I thought we'd do something similar. Rather than me just read a bunch of Proverbs, I'm going to change the wording slightly in a similar cadence. If you or I regularly slander people by making false statements about them to hurt them, you might be a fool. Chapter 10, verse 18. If you consistently do not take rebuke and correction well, but get defensive, you might be a fool. 15.5, If you are normally hasty with your words, in layman's terms, if you can't shut up, you might be a fool. 29.20, If you often place the highest value on your own opinion rather than understanding the positions and other people of those opinions, you might be a fool. Proverbs 28.26, If you consistently don't listen to advice and just do what you think is right, you might be a fool. 12.15 If you are a sorrow and grief to your parents, you might be a fool. 10.1.17.25 If you are often quick-tempered, giving full vent to your emotions, you might be a fool. 14.17.29.11 If you are having sex with someone who is not your spouse, or are regularly viewing pornography, you might be a fool. Chapters 1 to 9, a bunch of the sections. If you are fast to enter fights and quarrels between people, like if you're constantly argumentative on social media about politics, or even if you are overly nitpicky about Christian doctrine and practice, you might be a fool. Proverbs 20, verse 3. If your life as in your work, your marriage, your relationships, is often characterized by complacency, you might be a fool. One thirty-two. If you think doing wrong is funny, you might be a fool. 10.23. If your behavior is primarily marked by turning toward evil and not away from it, you might be a fool. 18.19. If you treat self-expression as of ultimate value, doing what is right in your own eyes and trusting in your own mind, you might be a fool. 12.15, If you rejoice in and flaunt your sin, not thinking that any one of those things that I just mentioned is a big deal, you might be a fool. Proverbs 13.16 If you do not fear God, you are a fool. Proverbs 1.7 And so where are you at on any of those things? Some you probably just, eh. No, not doing that. No way. Others? Wow, yeah, yeah, that's, that's me. So think about it when you read these. Where are you at? Don't think of somebody else. Think of you. What jumped out at you? Confess it. Tell someone it. Hey, I'm having a hard time with this one. Wow, that proverb really jumped out at me. I need help. It's one of the ways not to be a fool. Ask for help. Admit that you've done foolish things, specifically, not generally. And as I printed out a list of all the fool descriptions in Proverbs, I had like six pages or something. The font was 
pretty big. And that was just like fool and foolishness. It was a lot. I was struck by something that seemed to rise to the top. Phrases like this. The way of a fool is right in his own eyes. 12.15 Do you see a man who is wise in his own eyes? There is more hope for a fool than for him. 26.12 Whoever trusts in his own mind is a fool. 28.26 And so fools are wise in one way, their own eyes. They're real wise. It's all good. So the summary of the fool is that they are committed to self-rule. I was thinking it kind of rhymes. The character of a fool is self-rule. I'm in charge. That, of course, is the bait of the first sin in the Garden of Eden. Did God really say, don't you want to be wise like God? You can determine your own destiny. You can satisfy your own desires. Follow your heart. Just go this way. Don't listen to that way. And we live in a culture that's infatuated with self-expression. There's no higher authority than me. Self rules. You're in charge of your own body. You can do whatever you want with your own desires as long as you don't supposedly hurt anyone else. But the problem is, is that, that attitude, that philosophy, that way of life, is that it always results in personal death. That's what Proverbs tells us. It also results in societal death. The death of a society. Remember in the book of Judges, there's a common refrain about the character of God's people. Judges describes how the people of Israel began to turn away from the fear of God and turn to worshiping false gods. Somebody comes in, attacks them, they're miserable. They chase after the gods, they start getting ruled by the other nations. Oh God, help me! God helps them because He's gracious. Over and over again. In Proverbs, that's the character of God. But they, they turn to other things. And instead of choosing the wisdom of God, they choose the foolishness of the surrounding nations. And we see that God judges them for it over and over again. And that their actions, as you go through the book of Judges, get worse and worse and worse. Evil is compounded and God's judgment gets worse and worse and worse. And sometimes God's judgment is the evil itself getting worse. And there's a common refrain that happens throughout the book. In those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in their own eyes. I think that's right at the very end of Judges. It's also in other parts of the book. No king. No just, wise king. Everyone just does what's right in their own eyes. And so they traded being ruled by the wisdom of God for self-rule. And human beings were never made for self-rule. The rejection of the authority of God, the acceptance of the authority of self, is the beginning of foolishness. Why? Because we're always going to be ruled by something. That's what it means to be human. We're going to worship something. Our desires are going to go somewhere. Our actions are going to go to some place. But the bad news is, is that because of sin, because of the fall, we're all self-destructive. That's where self-rule takes us. We destroy ourselves. And the New Testament shows us that we're all born into this world basically as fools, bent toward foolishness, rebellion against God, rebellion against His way, that we want to follow our own desires and our own hearts. And so how not to be a fool 
will never come from us. You're not going to solve your fool problem with just yourself. It's impossible. Wisdom comes from outside of us because wisdom has been here before we ever even arrived. That's clear in Proverbs. We have this picture of God and wisdom together. Before humanity. Something else. So we need a wise king. We need a wise father. And that, of course, brings us to the gospel. The good news. The good news of Proverbs is that the ultimate wise king, the ultimate wise father, is not Solomon. Clearly. Read about Solomon. The wisest king in the world still became a fool. But the good news is that that there is a king who has come into this world to rescue fools from their foolishness. That's the good news. That's the gospel. He is the one who said in Matthew 12.42 that he was greater than Solomon. It's Jesus. Jesus, the King of kings. Jesus, the Lord of lords. Jesus is the gospel for fools. The outcome of all that we do in our lives, all of our sinful foolishness, deserves death. That's where it leads. But God is merciful. God is merciful. He's wise. He sent His Son Jesus who lived a life of perfect wisdom. Not just to tell us wise things to apply, but to actually become wisdom for us. That He becomes our wisdom. That it's not in us. He came to save those who looked foolish in the eyes of the world. He came to save those who looked foolish to shame the worldly wise who thought they had it all together so that no human being could boast in the presence of God. He wants to eliminate self-rule. 1 Corinthians 1. 1 Corinthians 1 shows us this. 26 to 31. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of Him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. God loves to eliminate our pride. It's the purpose of the Incarnation. Jesus comes into the world so that no human being can boast before God. None of the righteous religious leaders, the self-righteous ones can boast before God. And He comes, He dies as a fool, He dies in shame, He dies on a cross to save foolish people. To be their own wisdom. The wisdom that they could not be. And so Jesus is wisdom from God. The wise Father sent the wise Son to become our wisdom. Jesus lived out all the verses of Proverbs perfectly so that anyone, any of us who trust Him can be justified as if they lived all of Proverbs right before God. He saves fools like us out of our foolishness, makes us sons to where our identity is no longer a fool. Sometimes we'll say that in a self-pitying way. So foolish. You know, I'm so foolish. 
as a Christian, if you trust Jesus, you are a son. And he is your father who loves you. We're not to stay in that. That itself, the self-pitying stuff that I get so often stuck in, is itself foolishness. Because it feeds on its own folly and its own past over and over and over again and stays stuck. It's a lie. The gospel frees us from that to say, you are a son. Jesus is your wisdom. Lean into him. And so we can go to Proverbs not as a list of impossible commands, but as words from a wise, loving father to a son on how to live life well. To be able to say, man, I don't. That verse eh, got me. I'm having a hard time. God help me. The wise father smiles. Let's go. Let's move on. We saw that in Titus 3 today when it described the nature of sinful people, it started with foolishness. And then just talked about the, the horrible things that, that we do to one another. Interestingly, too, there's the context of like submitting to rulers and authorities. There's this whole thing about being foolish. You reject all authority. Who cares what parents say? Who cares what the king says? Who cares what the wise people say? Who cares what God says? It's about me. That's a way to the life of foolishness. And then God says in Titus, he comes to rescue the people out of his own mercy, not out of their own righteousness. And it goes on, talks about separating from people who, who are fools because they just want to cause division and distraction. But God has come in grace for the fool to save them. So one of the practices that we've committed to doing every Sunday that is foolish in the eyes of the world when you really think about it is that we come here and we grab these little cups and these crackers and we eat them. It doesn't even really fill us up. I mean, it's just a little cup and a little cracker. <laughs> you think about it, it sounds pretty foolish to be doing that every week. Have some Welch's grape juice, cracker, and call it good. But Jesus gave that to us so that we would be reminded to renounce ourselves, to put our very bodies and to ingest him as the body we need, the blood we need, the brokenness that he gave us to remind us of all that he has done for us. To say, you know what? It's been a rough week. And so Jesus helped me. It's your grace. You're the one who can help me have a better week. And even if I don't have a better week, you're the one who's got me, who's holding me, who has saved me. And I trust you. And I confess you. And so, that's what we're going to do this morning. We're going to say, I can't do it on my own. I need Him. And we're going to tangibly remind one another and ourselves as we take it, that he is our wisdom. He's our hope. Come on up, worship team.